This is Coach Lee, and you're listening to The Door Report. At Vanderbilt, it's Tim Corbin in the Vandy Boys, Jerry Stackhouse on the hardwood, and Clark Lee on the gridiron. Nashville, it's time to sit back, relax, grab a cold one, and enjoy the show. The Music City is our state, and West End is where we rock. You're listening to The Door Report, the premier Vanderbilt podcast for fans who believe black and gold. Commodore Nation. Anchor down. No strings till the hank comes out. Make all the drunk girls scream and shout. We love it, we hate it. We're all just trying to make it in this crazy town. Welcome into the door report. It is episode 218 on a Monday, May the 1st, 2023. We are powered by Alaco Finewood Floors, family owned and operated for more than two decades. Alaco Finewood Floors is Nashville and Middle Tennessee's choice for premium quality hardwood floors. Since 1995, Jimmy Alaco and his army of employees have embodied the approach of taking pride in one's craft and providing superior customer service. If you are interested in contacting them, you can find their headquarters at 2505 Winford Avenue out in Berry Hill. Give them a call at 615-356-0303. Or log on to alacofinewoodfloors.com. Gentlemen, it's going to be a lighter episode today. Vanderbilt basketball is not in the news for anything, surprisingly. That roller coaster has, I don't know if it's, it hasn't stopped because it's going to resume eventually, but I feel like we're just kind of flatlined. We've plateaued on the basketball roller coaster. Uh, football, we got some NFL draft stuff to, I guess you could say, not talk about. You know, we, we were going to probably talk about the draft a lot more if orgy was taken. Uh, so a little surprising there. No, uh, no Anthony orgy in the draft. We'll get to some of the other guys and where they signed. Uh, but guys, Vanderbilt baseball gets back on track. They swept Kentucky, a top 25 Kentucky team, by the way, this is not a slouch team and the number two ranked team in the RPI. So I don't know where they are in the net, but RPI number two right now. So that that'll bode well for Vanderbilt on selection Monday uh, I mean, you can you can point to a lot of good wins on Vanderbilt's resume. This is one of them. Rhett Wiseman, former national champion, Vanny Boy, will check in a little bit later. But, Will, I know you're excited to get into why Anthony Orji did not get drafted. We'll talk Vandy Boys, but I'm I'm interested to hear hear your thoughts on that. I wish I had a good answer, and I don't know if you or Trevor have a good answer as to why Orji was not taken. As kind of a, I, I think none of us expected him to be taken, you know, third, fourth, fifth, but I thought some team would take a flyer mm-hmm. on a player that was a leader on an NFL style defense in Clark Lee's defense, uh, put up incredible numbers, is a physical freak. In every single interview that you see him have, he seems like a very intelligent, well-spoken guy. So he kind of checked every box as like a late round flyer special teams guy. Mm-hmm. And for whatever reason, he went undrafted and Vanderbilt did not have a player selected. I think they were one of eight. I could be incorrect. Uh, power five football programs that didn't have a player Ooh. selected in the 2023 NFL draft. So not the best look for the program, but they do have some guys going to different NFL teams on undrafted free agent contracts. And hopefully some of those guys can find spots and find roles on those rosters. But Trevor, Billy, I don't want to dwell too much on the negative. 
A big positive was this weekend, there was no new news from <laughs> Vanderbilt basketball. And the Vandy boys got back on track with a nice sweep after a very disappointing performance the previous weekend. Trevor, I know you were itching to get into that. I I, I was telling the, the boys before we started, I haven't forgotten about uh, our, our baseball recaps that, that are written. Um, <laughs> last week, I, I just, I could not sit down at my computer and write about that series. I couldn't, I tried. Um, and when I did, I, I about had a mental breakdown. Um, so, so I just thought like, you know what, we're just going to forget about it. And we're going to move on to Kentucky. Um, it was a big, big series. Um, get a big sweep against at one point, like Billy said, the number two RPI team in the nation. Now they're number three. I mean, that's a big series. Um, still a couple of question marks that we'll get into, mm-hmm. but overall a great series. Um, Friday was not the prettiest of games. I guess neither was Sunday, but Saturday they looked good. Um, I, I still have some questions about the batting order and then uh, Carter Holton. I still, mm-hmm. I don't know what's, I don't know what's wrong. I don't even know if you can say there's something wrong with him, but he's clearly off. And I don't know, like, I can't pinpoint like what's off about him other than he's just giving up a lot of hard contact. Yeah. Corbett said he might've been over pitching if anything, you know, whether it's, he was know, doing that against Tennessee. Yeah. His pitch count. I mean, I think it was at 92 in like the third or fourth inning or something crazy it was, like that. So it, me and my dad kept looking back and like after every batter we were, I think it was the second inning we thought we're like, oh my God, we're like, he might not get out of the set. Honestly, yeah. whenever Tim Corbin brought him out for the third, we were kind of like, oh my God, like here it goes. Yeah. Like at, it's, it's going to happen. At that point, you don't need him out there. I mean, you've got oh. a guy like Ginther, you've got plenty of bullpen arms that have pitched really well. Uh, but that is – there are some questions, Trev. I like how you worded that, right? It's a dominant series when Vandy gets back on track, but there's still some questions to be answered and some pretty important questions, right? So health-wise, offensively, position-wise, do the, are, are there position switches? And, you know, I mean, because of some of the things that happen. I want to get to some of those. With a guy like Alan Espinal, he's fighting for playing time, and he might deserve yeah. more. So I, I want to get to all that. Will, we'll get to your draft analysis before we do, though. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter, door underscore report, Instagram, door dot report. Like us on Facebook, subscribe to our YouTube channel. Our podcast is available on Anchor, iTunes, Spotify, and Google Podcasts. And while you're at it, give our podcast five stars and a review on iTunes. All right, let's get to the breaking news. No matter what style you're going for, you can trust your flooring job to a Laco Fine Wood Floors. Take a walk through the woods in your home every day. Get your flooring job started today by calling 615-356-0303. Alaco Fine Wood Floors. Craftsmanship you can stand on. All right, guys, some unfortunate uh, lack of breaking news, I guess. Uh, no Vanderbilt players were drafted. As Will said, one of eight teams in uh, at the Power 5 level to not have a single player drafted. Not uh, the type of news you want for your program. I'm still surprised. I mean, I think we we talked about Orgy as a guy, I don't know, a month or two ago, you know, talking about the draft when I think a couple weeks after Orgy declared. And, you know, I said fifth, maybe sixth. Like, I didn't even I, – I didn't see him going undrafted. Um, but at the same time, Will got a decent chunk of money, 216K, right? That's not your normal undrafted deal. So I think that points to – some confidence from the saints in him. Maybe they were on his book. Maybe he was on their board and they just, I mean, ran out of picks. I I don't know what happened, but 
you know, for him to have 216K, that's got to be up there in the list of un- undrafted guys, right? And maybe that points to them eventually signing him to a, a a bigger deal, an extended deal in a year or two if he plays well. But again, I, I'm surprised. I mean, not surprised that Lucy and Worship and Bolivis didn't get drafted, but I mean, Orji, you said it well. He's a guy that led this defense in the SEC, played well against against teams like Alabama and Georgia, like put on really, really good tape uh, for for scouts and everybody to watch. So that, that's what confused me. Well, um, I don't know if you've heard anything about it, but my only guess would be that the Saints had him on their board. They just ran out of picks and ran out of time because the payday for him is nothing to scoff at. I mean, there there's ways to spin it. It's not always, of course you want to see, and Orgy wanted to see his name called in the NFL draft. I think every football player's dream as a kid is to see their name called in the NFL draft in rounds one through seven. But there are times when you look at a guy like Orgy uh, on NFL.com, he was a sixth round projection Um, on their scouting prospect grade. He was a 5.93, which is graded out as an average backup or special team or for whatever that means. But it wasn't like this was just Vanderbilt fans expecting him to be drafted or picked by some team. I mean, he was expected to be a late round pick. Now the spin zone you could make of this is instead of being locked into whatever team wants to select Orgy as a potential special teams project is now he probably has a pick of a few teams and he can find the best situation, find the best contract, find the best place that he could potentially actually find an active roster spot. And that's a little bit different than a lot of these six, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks that are being drafted for practice squad depth, for cap reasons to be brought up and down. So it's not always the worst thing in the world that he didn't get selected for him, but I know that that's going to add a chip on the shoulder and it's definitely not a great look for the Vanderbilt program to not have a player select. Yeah. And Trev, you saw a lot of guys like CJ Taylor, Swan, you know, they tweeted you know, two years, hashtag NFL draft, you know, three, four years. So mm-hmm. this isn't just as as tough as it is for Orgy. As you mentioned earlier, Will, this is tough for the program. You know, we wanted Orgy to get drafted. We wanted to see Orgy get drafted. Anfordy wanted to get drafted, right? And and it, it sucks for him. But like you said, he's headed to New Orleans. And it feels like, I could be wrong, but it feels like this is a top-end undrafted free agent. Like, you know... One of the best, maybe the best, mm-hmm. right? He could have been yeah. Mr. Irrelevant. I feel like he just missed. Uh, but Trev, that's that's tough for the program. You never want that. I feel like this is going to be the last year for a long time when no Vanderbilt football player gets drafted, hopefully. Yeah, I I agree. And I think from a from a program aspect, obviously you hurt for Anthony. I think, um, I mean, he, he was everybody. He's a fan favorite mm-hmm. amongst all the Vanderbilt fans. It does hurt for the program in that, I mean, programs love – and it rightfully so like use um the the idea that they're like see we put guys in the league mm-hmm. you always i feel like every program has a graphic of guys that they put in the league and if it's not um who their team has put in the league um, i even saw a graphic that uh, under coach lee and a lot of the assistants these are the guys who have played under these guys at previous institutions who are now in the league so it mm-hmm. is tough for the program I mean, it's not it's not a major blow. It's not like a knock against Vanderbilt. I would be hard pressed if any if this like sways any potential recruit. Um, 
I mean, it might. They're 16, 17-year-old kids, but, I mean, I doubt it. Um, talking about – and I kind of wanted to piggyback off Will. He brought up um, Orgy's draft comps. Uh, Lance Zerline on NFL Network, he was going through and he was giving um, sort of a description of Anthony's play style, his strengths, his weaknesses. And this made absolutely no sense to me. Um, so just some bullet points. He says strengths. Um, attacks downhill, plays ahead of linemen, stays square behind the line, nice bend, lateral agility, weaknesses. And maybe I'm just not watching Vanderbilt football that closely. Somebody please, if you guys notice this, correct me if I'm wrong, below average speed to range across the field, excessive missed tackle count over the last two years, average awareness and response quickness in zone coverage. Did he not lead the S? Did he not lead the SEC in tackles last year at 106? Or I mean, he was uh, he he was either first or second. If, what do we what first. do we mean? It if he if he missed excessive tackles, then Buddy's going to be like he's up in the 200s for total tackles. Like I don't, I don't which, understand that. I, I'm not. Then again, I'm not an NFL draft. These dudes know ball. But I mean, if you're listening, or please tweet at us, tweet at me. I watched every snap of Anthony Orgy since he was a freshman. I'm locked. We're all locked into Vanderbilt football. I, I there could be a couple knocks that you could give against Anthony. I disagree with the the lateral quickness. I think he's I think he's pretty quick side to side. Um, he and does forbid. play a little frenetic, but but my God, the excessive tackle count. I mean, I don't feel like I don't know how you not yet 106 tackles last year. I don't I don't get it. God I don't forbid get it. you're in the SEC. And I know ball. <laughs> exactly, too. Like, and it's it's weird, man. And it's yeah, his coverage skills are like a little so-so, but like that's he's gonna have to go to a system to where he's not going to be sort of a drop back backer. I mean, you're gonna have to do it in the NFL. You have to be able to do both. But he very much is that sort of like plays with his hair on fire and just gets after somebody. Um, and I think if he gets put in a system or a situation that suits him for that sort of play style, I think he'll do great. I think he'll be in the league for a long time. But I was just reading over over that, and I thought that that's insane to me that if anything, you'd be like, oh, he's a great tackler. And if he missed excessive – like I said, if he missed excessive amounts of tackles, Buddy would have had 175 tackles last year. And I don't know what the NCAA record for single season is. I mean, you're also having an issue of Vanderbilt's defensive line had some injury issues last year. So he was facing a that's lot putting of, it I would say, yeah, he was facing a lot of linemen that were easily able to get up to the second level and having to take on those guards, you know, yeah. shedding, shedding the Vanderbilt defensive linemen effortlessly. And Orgy was kind of having to play a stopgap as well, which I'm sure uh, didn't look great for highlight tapes for NFL scouts. But yeah, I mean, I don't know what the criticism is of Orgy's side-to-side field covering ability. Yes, he has coverage issues. I think pass coverage issues are the reason that he wasn't a top three-round draft pick like Zach Cunningham. But, I mean, is athleticism, as it said on the on the evaluation, that just feels like one of those boilerplate things that you stick in to a mid-to-late round projected linebacker and you're just like forget it this guy's probably not going to get too much uh too many eyes on him that are going to criticize this nfl network breakdown but you hit on everything kind of perfectly i mean i don't want to shit on the clark lee program too much as to why i mean i'm sure they were doing everything to promote these guys but Mm -hmm. i just always like to give the stat of how few guys are selected 
every yeah. year about like 16,000, I think is the number in 2015. So this is data from 2015, but 254 draft picks from 2015, 16,380 draft eligible players. Not every player is pursuing an NFL career, but there are over 73,000 NCAA football players. Mm-hmm. Okay. They're a very, 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 very small number that are selected. Yes, Vanderbilt is in the SEC. Yes, Vanderbilt should be producing NFL draft picks 100%. They have in the past. I don't think this is a panic moment. Like you said, I don't think mm-hmm. that this is changing anybody's thought process on committing to the Clark Lee program. So I think Orgy is just going to be able to have an opportunity to do some good things in New Orleans. And hopefully yeah. we'll continue to hear his name kind of in the rumblings as like a young up and coming undrafted free agent. I and I, I think we will. I think we certainly yeah. will. Uh, you know, we're going to hear rumblings right when, you know, he reports. I feel like, I mean, I think this is the chip that uh, he didn't necessarily need, but now that he has it, he's got it right. And he can, yeah. he can use that. Um, and guys, if anything for the program, I think it's a sign of where they're at, right? I mean, it's this isn't this isn't on the field, but it's a sign of there's still work to do in terms of producing NFL talent. I mean, we're still early yeah. on, um, but you know, this is a sign of okay, maybe next year you get one or two, you keep building, right? So it's a sign of okay, you don't have any NFL draft picks, but at the end of the day, we've talked about it. Clark Lee is here to state he's building this program, right? So I mean, it's it's a if anything, it's a it's a sign of where where the program as a whole in terms of NFL draft production they're at, right? There's Uh still some work to do. So other guys, Lucian is headed to Baltimore. I think he's another guy that we didn't expect to get drafted, but he's another guy that I think can, like an Alan George, I mean, he made the team in Cincinnati, right? I mean, I think that could be another situation like that. Where I think he's going to have a very long NFL career, Lucian in particular. I I think he's going to get some serious playing time on Sundays. He plays a he's played a lot of football. I mean, I know, you know, at UConn, that's a, a obviously a down program. They actually had a decent year last year. And then at Vanderbilt kind of Jim Mora on the up and up, baby. Yeah. He well, if you look at Lucy and he improved defenses that really needed him, right? And and he's got tape out there that looks pretty good, actually. Yeah. Uh, Max Worship, another guy. He's staying home. He's he's gonna be with the Titans. So uh at least try out there, see if he makes it. Joe Bolivus. Is headed to New Orleans. Big leg Big Joe, Joe is uh is staying in the in the black and gold. So, uh, guys, four guys. I think that's it. If I'm if I'm not mistaken, there. That's that's the four guys: Orgy, Lucy, and Worship, and Bullivus. Uh, I I can't remember the guys that had last year, but again, this is a sign of of where this this program is at with NFL draft production. Um, so before we go to Vanny Boys, anything else on maybe Lucy and Worship and Bullivus? Again, Lucian will as a guy. I think I've. I've been watching more and more of his tape. I've seen him on clips on Twitter, and, and scouts really like him. So I think Lucian could be a guy that, as Trevor said, plays in the NFL for a while. I think Lucian could be that. He could fit into a system, and I think the Ravens, with I think they play a majority cover two. Don't t- they typically make good use of corners that don't necessarily have just the mm-hmm. flat-out burner speed because they don't have to cover NFL receivers in the deep third of the field mm-hmm. so i think maybe that could be a good fit i don't want to blow smoke as as to these guys i really don't think that we're going to hear of any of the names doing anything in the nfl outside of orgy um so i think that'll be the guy to watch i'd be really surprised i think lucian could sneak onto a practice squad i'd be really surprised if worship actually makes it onto a practice squad or a roster and i'd be very surprised if Joe our- uh lands a spot on an nfl roster i don't know about you guys 
but I would just be really surprised if Big Leg Joe was able to make one of the uh, 32 NFL rosters. Stop hating. Where's Joe at again? Where'd you say he's at? New Orleans. Oh, okay. <laughs> I mean, doesn't where's have to do my... with the elements, I guess. Yeah. Where's That's our guy, to you, brother? Where's our guy, Gavin? We got to get him on and, and get some answers there. <laughs> oh, my. Gavin, you got, he's got a COVID year left, right? Gavin. Uh oh. Uh oh. Scholarships are tight and Vandy needs a tight end. Speaking of Gavin, though, we, we got some big stuff coming. I think we're going to have him on maybe every week for football season and just kind of have a, a special oh, insider. Awesome. It, it's been, it's in what the works. What a good so. guy. I know that that one episode did wonders for uh for Vanderbilt <laughs> fans. I think but what an awesome guy, a a plus guy. Speaking of a plus, it was an a plus weekend for Vandy. They sweep Kentucky, a top twenty five team. They're ranked fifteenth, no slouch, number two in the RPI as I mentioned. Friday, as you said, Trev's kind of a snooze fest, right? Six to four win. Uh, I was wow. there in attendance. It's kind of monotonous. It was a long game. Holton was struggling. Had a lot of pitches, yeah. a lot of long innings. Patrick Riley, though, comes in, and he was absolute nails in relief. Ten strikeouts, and and he's the MVP of that game. Um, I mean, he comes in, and he's starting to pitch really well. Last couple of years, I think he that, that wasn't the Patrick Riley we saw as a freshman, but now we're getting that. We're, we're getting more of the, the flame-throwing Patrick Riley. Uh, I think his off-speed is a, is a little bit better. So they win Friday. Saturday, 9-3, to three, it was Hunter Owens' return to the mound. Four innings, only gave up two runs, six strikeouts. Owen looked really good. Sunday, it was the Allen Espinall show. Vandy mm-hmm. wins three to two. The Espinall walk off. And guys, for a guy like that to to come up big in that spot, I thought was really impressive. He hadn't had an SEC at bat for like three weeks. Uh, steps in his first start in forever. And Enrique Bradfield on Twitter, he said, "There's not another individual like Allen Espinall. He always puts everyone before himself. His work ethic and care level." For what he does is unmatched. No one deserved this moment more. Trevor, I thought that screams Vanderbilt baseball under Tim Corbin, right? Yep. A guy like that coming up big in a spot who has been sitting on the bench, really. I mean, he's he's come in and played in some midweek games and and coming in relief of Bulger, but it's really been Jack Bulger catching. And so for, for him to step up in that spot was huge for him and his playing time, but that's Vanderbilt baseball, right? You, even though mm-hmm. you're, you've been sitting on the bench for a while, you haven't had – and SEC at bat in three weeks, you step up in that spot. So I, I can't say enough about Espinall. Mm-hmm. And, and I mean, he got him the sweep. They needed that sweep. Yeah. He's, I, I, I as the, as this pod progresses, we're, we're going to uh, dive deeper into sort of the everyday lineup that we're seeing. Um, but I, I do want to, Espinall is one of the guys that I, I wish we could see more of in the lineup. And and we'll talk about it later because we're gonna I, I think we're gonna highlight him and, and Davis Diaz is mm-hmm. what do you do with him right now? But Alan Espinal, man, I I don't know how you justify not having him be in two of the three weekend series. Yes, is Jack Bolger's bat a little bit better? Yes, but defensively, Alan defensively, plays. if Alan Espinal can as he progresses through college, get his batting average up to like the low 300s, like 280 upwards of 300. He is going to get drafted by a major league baseball team. And he is going to be a catcher 
for a major league baseball team for a very, very long time. Defensively, Alan Espinel has it. He's one of the better defensive catchers Vanderbilt has had in a long time. And the fact that he doesn't get more playing time. Now, of course, Tim Corbin knows all. I don't. But just from the outside looking at, I just don't get it. And like you said, man, he was awesome on Sunday. And I think as I, I was listening to, uh, I was listening to Andrew Allegretti. I was listening to the Sunday game uh, on the radio. And he said that ML, I believe it's MLB scouts um, have Alan Espinal's arm rated at an 80. Now, for those of you who don't know, scouts rate a catcher's arm on a scale from 20 to 80. And they, he basically mm. got a hundred percent on his on defensive metrics for his arm. Um, so defensively, I mean, he's the guy offensively. Yeah. Like he's not great, but he's not getting a ton of looks. So, I mean, mm-hmm. I think as he gets looks, he'll obviously get better, but I mean, I, it's easy to say right now after Vanderbilt just got a sweep, yeah. but I, I think you have to be willing to sacrifice a teensy bit of potential offense from Jack Bolger to favor Alan Espinal's defense. Cause that's going to, he might not give you runs, but he sure as hell going to save you runs. Yeah. And so I just, I don't know what he has to do to get more playing time. Having that good of a defensive catcher is such a weapon in the sec. You get to Hoover, you get to the postseason, and you just, it's almost like you take a good defensive catcher for granted. Like when CJ Rodriguez was catching for Vanderbilt, that guy was automatic threw everybody out. I mean, he framed everything perfectly. He probably saved – he probably made a bunch of strikeouts for Leiter and Rocker just because of how he framed the baseball. Yeah. And he he blocked everything. Like, it, it's huge having that good of a defensive catcher. Like you said, Trev, if Espinal can get that average up a little bit, he's at 240 right now, but he hasn't had the amount of at-bats to even have those chances to get it up. So exactly, I think yes. all – you couldn't watch Sunday and tell yourself Espinal doesn't deserve more playing time because he does – you know, might you might see him start Tuesday against Georgia State. You might see him start a game against Alabama this weekend, and all of a sudden he gets more playing time. Maybe all of a sudden he takes over the job. Who knows? I'm not I'm not going that far yet, but he deserves more playing time, and I think he'll get it. And we we talked yeah. about that with Rhett Wiseman coming up in the interview a lot, so he got into that. Uh, but guys, right now this team 32 and 11, 16 and five in the SEC. They lead the SEC overall by a half game over LSU. And they're they have a one and a half game lead over South Carolina. It was just a massive sweep. They needed it after last yeah. weekend. I mean, yeah. after last weekend, you get swept by your in-state rival, and you turn around. You're like, "Where's this team going? Where are they headed?" That that's tough mentally. You lose seventeen to one. You get mm-hmm. run ruled by your in-state rival. Then you, I mean, you get swept. So for them to come back, will and and just bounce back it. There's really nothing to worry about. Any, I mean, it's funny how baseball changes so quick. It's so fickle, but all of a sudden, there's no worry from Vanderbilt fans. That that's that's how quick it changes. Just a slightly different vibe than last yeah. week after the Tennessee series. Yeah. But you and Trevor Billy have both, I mean, pretty much summarized everything and and done a better job of breaking down as we continue to evaluate what we watched over the weekend. The one thing that I vividly remember from watching the Friday game that did not get enough love on Twitter was Maldonado coming in and striking out the side in the night yep. to close out that game. I saw a lot of tweets and saw a lot of love for Riley with mm-hmm. his 10 strikeouts. That was great. Not taking anything away from that. I just need to give a little love to Nick Maldonado for coming in and striking out the side to close out the game and set the tone for the rest of the weekend. So not just Riley. 
but Riley and Maldonado at the closer spot. It was in a lot of that was that's my he's only the best reliever here. in baseball in college baseball. I I think you can make I the agree. argument. It, it's and one I of those think, things you take it just a little bit for granted. He just came in, you, struck out the side, and all the tweets from the Vandy Boys Twitter account were about Riley's 10 strikeouts and not yeah. about the most key three strikeouts of the entire game. Absolute nails, as you said about Riley, yeah. of Maldonado as well. And I and think, was, too, yeah, as yeah. we progress into the postseason, like, like we've seen recently, someone with Carter Holton hasn't had the best outings. Of course, he can bounce back. Uh, baseball is is a very fickle game. But to have guys in your pen like Riley, who is having an amazing resurgence, who can come in and let's say like stuff hits the fan and you need a guy to come in out of the bullpen in the third or fourth inning, and you know that he can eat innings, he can go three, four. How Scott Brown likes to throw guys five innings – and then you got someone like Maldonado, who, depending on how the opponent's lineup is constructed, you can throw him out there for two innings, three if you want to push it. But mm-hmm. you got guys, and Ginther is another one. You have guys in your bullpen who, if your starting pitchers don't get it done, which luckily for Vandy is hyper rare, you got guys who are very, very old school in their mindset who will just chew up innings and spit them right back out. So, can they get a little bit more healthy? Yes. I still do we even know what's going on with DeCanich still? Is he so Corbin is, said does he, he even have his like is is he in a wheelchair or something? Like what no, is up? No, he's back. He's back throwing. He's day to day right now, Corbin said. So um I was starting to wonder about Dukanich. Is he is he on the team still? Like what, what's <laughs> I'm like, oh I know well, you see him in the dugout, you're like, okay, he's there, but like, is he like missing a limb or something? I'm like, <laughs> with, what like, with, what it's so it's confusing sometimes with pitchers like you know you see them jogging out there celebrating it's like get him out there on the mound come on but it, it's it's so know, different it's like a it's, shoulder elbow yeah it's so much more sensitive because if you send him out there and he's not ready you know one little tweak can hurt that injury again and you just you never yeah. know uh, it's different than you know an injury in basketball where you know yeah your leg hurts but you can still run and you can still get out with pitching it's so it's just so much more sensitive. It's a totally different mm-hmm. topic. But, yeah, Corbin said he's day-to-day. They got Grayson Moore back, which I think was big, to get him some innings. As I mentioned, Hunter Owen. I mean, man, Saturday felt totally different with Hunter Owen out there. I mean, all, like all a of a dog on the mound. Yeah, yeah, all of a sudden, you know, and it looked like they gave him enough time, right? It, say you throw him out there Saturday against Tennessee when he maybe wasn't ready in that spot. Maybe he re-injures something. Maybe it goes wrong. Maybe his confidence goes down. As opposed to that, you sit him out another weekend, and he's ready to go this weekend against Kentucky. And he pitched well; didn't pitch a whole lot of innings, only four innings, but six strikeouts, only two runs. It just feels like you got Hunter Owen back, and you've got your whole staff back and ready to roll. They haven't lost an SEC series with Holton, Owen, and uh, Futrell all pitching. So the only series they've lost is that Tennessee series. So, I mean, you got your pitchers back. It feels like that staff and this team is back a little bit. Um, they only gave up two extra base hits all weekend, which is incredible. The bullpen gave up just two runs on 13 and a third innings. Riley, Maldonado, Schultz, Ginther, Laboki. The bullpen was so much better than last weekend. I mean, mm-hmm. la- last weekend, it was like, is this pitching staff bad? Or I mean, it's it, you just yeah. you can't take you can't ever take too much out of one weekend, right? It's I never do... as good as it seems, and it's never as bad as it seems. I do want to say. 
I don't have anything to add right now, but Billy with a with a wonderful manipulation of stats saying the Vanderbilt is undefeated in SEC play <laughs> when all of their starters are going. So that's <laughs> that is the stat that I'm gonna hold on to. In my mind, Vanderbilt is undefeated in Credit. SEC series. Uh the Tennessee does not count. It was basically a <laughs> scrimmage. Mm-hmm. Get it out of the record books. That Credit was masterful Aria. work by Billy right there. Well, I saw Aria's tweet and I had to give it some love. She tweeted that same exact uh, note and I read it and I was like, wait, no way. And then I read it again. And I was like, okay, yeah. <laughs> oh, and yeah, Danny like undefeated in a weekend series, boys. You heard it here on Aria's tweet. <laughs> I love it. It's so fun to manipulate stats like that, especially in baseball. But uh, Trev, another big thing was Enrique Bradfield got on base. I mean, yeah, you see it when he's it's it's pretty it's it's a it's an amazing concept. And Bradfield gets on base. Vandy's winning. Right. It's crazy. Yep. Um, RJ well, Austin, and, too. And and two, I think if we whenever we talk about Enrique in that leadoff spot, I, I will get to him later. But then you have to bring up all oh, Davis Diaz in the two hole. But yeah, whenever Enrique Bradfield gets on base, Vanderbilt wins ball games, And that's just a fact. It's um, simple. It's it's the the way the psychology of baseball of whenever Enrique Bradfield is on base, just simply him being there in the corner of the pitcher's eyes does a whole, whole lot for Vanderbilt Mm -hmm. that doesn't show up in the stat book. The pitcher can get erratic. He's going to pitch. He's going to try and pull a a hundred pick plays. It feels um, whenever Enrique's on first and basically, I don't, it's not guaranteed. Like obviously he's not a hundred percent like he is last year, but if Enrique Bradfield gets on base, even if it's a single or a bunt single or a walk, you can basically go ahead and lock it in that he it's it's a double because he's going to get in scoring yeah. position whenever he steals. So although even yeah. miraculously he got thrown out on Sunday. Yeah, I couldn't that was, kinda, I, that was gross. I, I couldn't believe my eyes. It was a hell of a throw from Burks that Kentucky catcher. It was, but... yeah. That was yeah, credit to the catcher. Yeah, that was a great defensive play. Yeah. Um that was like, all him. Our our expectations for him is like, you cannot get thrown out when he gets thrown out. It's like, man, how did that happen? But it is no, it's such a bummer. When Bradfield gets on, they're winning. RJ Austin was phenomenal. You could say he was the best offensively. Uh, he had a. Yeah, I think he was the offensive the, MVP of of the weekend. Home run over the monster. Uh, had a big time uh, RBI single. I think late uh, in Saturday's game as well. Um, so all of a sudden, you get guys at the top of the lineup start hitting well. Oh look, you're winning. Right. It's a novel concept. Like it's, it's insane. So Trev right now, let's get to the question marks that, that are still on this team. I think number one, there's still guys not holding up their end of the bargain in the lineup. And, Oh, it's crazy to say that you've all, you always have that, but Davis Diaz, I feel like this has been a prolonged struggle that we may not have expected. Right. He started off sec play so well. Um, yeah. But you start to get a little bit better pitching in there, and he kind of reverted, re- has reverted back to last year a little bit. That He's such a huge piece because he's in that two-hole, and you want to have him in that two-hole because he's so good at, mm-hmm. at hitting ground balls to the right side, getting Bradfield over, bunting, whatever he needs to do, but it just it hasn't been happening. And so you saw Polk in that two-hole, I think a little bit in the Tennessee series, maybe once this weekend, uh, mm-hmm. might be mistaken there, but – Again, you you got to have Davis in there executing, and it's not even like he he has to be hitting three hundred, right? I think he's in the two thirties yeah. right now. If you get up to two sixty, two seventy, just get on base. It it just it works wonders with Bradfield. At first, you move him over. It's it's a novel concept, but it hasn't really been happening as much as I would have expected. So that's 
a question mark there. And number two for me is Bulger. I mean, offensively, Bulger, again, he's another guy that has sort of reverted back to last year a little bit where, you know, he'll get a, a hit here and there, but you don't see the consistency. So I think the yeah. big question mark for me, Trev, is Diaz and Bulger, if they don't hold up their end of the bargain, Hulk will be inserted into that two-hole, and all of a sudden Espinal might get more time at catcher. It's just, it is what it is. I mean, I yeah. So those for me right now are the question marks. And and, and here's so so Friday. Uh, we don't we obviously don't have to highlight how horrendous Davis Diaz was in the Tennessee series. Mm-hmm. Um, I we don't even have to talk about it. Friday he had an okay game. He was he was one for four with one RBI. Saturday one for five, not great. Uh, and that's putting it lightly. And then Sunday, 0 for 4. Um, he's he's just not getting it done at the plate. And and, he, and here's another thing. I, I, we talked about and and this will this will tie in nicely. We talked. We suggested putting an Espinal because yeah, is his bat as good as Bulger? I don't know. Maybe it is. He hasn't gotten as many at bats. I know he's got a better OBP and an OPS. He's better mm-hmm. than Bulger. Um, so I think in every statistical category, or not every statistical category, but most batting categories, um, Alan Espinal is better than Jack or Jack Bulger. Yeah, Jack Bulger batting 250 right now. Alan Espinal batting 240. Uh Bulger, so bat Bulger slashing 250, 356, 406. Then again, like we said, there is a discrepancy. Jack Bulger has got much more looks to play than Alan Espinal. Alan Espinal batting slashing 240, 367, 500. So, I mean, in everything except the batting average, Alan Espinal is hedging him out. Um, and and so, and he, here's something that I want to that I I kind of want to talk about, particularly with Davis Diaz. So obviously. Tim Corbin putting Jack Bulger in the lineup at catcher most of the time. You're favoring the potential of offense over defense with Alan Espinal. At what point do you maybe favor, use that same philosophy and favor the idea of offense over defense with maybe putting Chris Maldonado at third base for a series? Just see how it is. Is his defense going to be as good? No, that's the one shining star by mm-hmm. Davis Diaz is Davis Diaz as a, a gold glove at third base. Like defensively, he is a chef's kiss. But maybe, I don't know, for a se- Alabama, Vanderbilt should have no problem absolutely trouncing Alabama for a game or two or maybe a couple innings. Why don't What's you that? throw Maldonado at third base? I don't know, plug someone in the DH. It'll probably be bulger i guess if you do put alan espinal at catcher but maybe just sort of give him a couple days off because moving him up and down the lineup does not seem to be working because in the tennessee series i think he got dropped down to like the eight hole if mm-hmm. i'm correct yep. right above jonathan vastine and i get it like tim corbin is is very traditional and you don't stack lefties and righties that heavy but i just i mean you, you have to do something now, what that something is, I don't know. Um, can he bust out of the slump? Obviously, he can bust out of the slump. Mike Trout goes into slumps. Aaron Judge goes into slumps. The best of the best go into slumps. His slump has been really, really long, though. 
And my worry is if he takes that in a postseason play, yeah, Vanderbilt could really be shooting themselves in the foot. That yeah, but, that's what but, I don't. That's what I don't want to happen. Right where it yeah. carries into the postseason and and it sort of catches up to you. Right, you're you're, you're coming into the last couple weekends where you can sort of fiddle with the lineup a little bit. Right, yeah. I mean th- th- this is the time to still do it, but you approach SEC tournament in in Omaha, all of a sudden you run out of time to fiddle with the lineup. I just have to throw in outside perspective, all the stats you just named off, Trevor, everything in SEC play. Davis Diaz has 40, his batting average is 40 points lower than the next lowest starter in RJ Austin. In SEC play, Davis Diaz is hitting 221. Hmm. I mean, that's really just presented without comment. He is. It's nice undeniable that, and that's through April 30th, 2023. So after the Kentucky yeah. uh, series this, this past weekend. So that is very low. And in case anybody out there listening is not a, not a big baseball stat guy, 221 at the plate is mm-hmm. not the goal. Yeah. And, and you oh, saw it in the terrible. Tennessee, you saw it in the Tennessee series, right? Corbin finally made a move, pushed him down to the eight hole and it didn't really do much. I mean, you know, they were struggling all weekend, but, it carries over into Kentucky. And if that carries over into Florida, the road series in Gainesville, that's bad news, right? You he's carry also, over it he's also had the most at-bats of anybody on the roster as well. I yeah, mean, that might so, be a little bit of a throwaway stat there, but he's had 86 plate appearances, the most the on the other, team, and is hitting the lowest batting average on the team. So those two things, it's like he's had the opportunities, yes. not producing, time to mix it up. That's what makes it so tough. Like, I think Corbin does trust him. You obviously trust him defensively, and he hit well. He's shown that he can hit well. He started the season, I mean, dominant, right? I mean, Davis, if you look at his RBI number, I think he's at, uh, let's see, 36, six home runs. Like, he's shown flashes, but it hasn't been consistent. So, I again, I, I say that because I don't want this to catch up to this team. I don't, I don't want yeah. it to, 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 see, to seep into the postseason. So that's my number one question, Diaz, where he stays in the lineup, but also Espinal, does he creep into the lineup? I, it, I'll, I'll say one last thing about Davis Diaz is, is and I, th- I think we're all, all in agreement, the closer you get to postseason, not even really the closer you get, basically after the series against Alabama, I'm not sure if you can really mess with the lineup much just because so much is riding on it. I think for the Alabama series, and it, you can't even do it for some midweek games. You, I mean, the the Louisville game coming up. I don't think you can mm-hmm. afford to to goof around with the lineup and be like, "All right, let's try something crazy and scientific here." But there's just and and is is Chris Maldonado the the answer for this season at third base? Probably not. But I think you just have to do it maybe as a wake up call. To Davis, yeah, I, th- I think that's it's sort of a last ditch effort because, and, and we've talked about it before. As you get into postseason play and these ballparks get bigger, mm-hmm. I mean, if Vanderbilt makes it to Omaha, as we all know, Omaha is cavernous. Yeah, you're gonna really need somebody who's got a good glove on the hot corner because if a routine yep. ground ball gets past him in a huge, huge ballpark like that, a routine ground ball could turn into a double really yep. quick. So he's he's getting play every day because his glove is that good. And I don't want to take that away from him. His glove at third base is amazing. But, I mean, at the plate, 
I mean, there's, I, there's I really, even, I don't even think you can move him down to, to eight. I mean, I guess you could, but I don't know if that fixes anything. You just have a guy in front of Vastine who can't hit a ball. Yeah. It, and it, it really, it really shows because young guys like Maldonado are playing so well at the plate. I mean, he's hitting 327, yeah. RJ Austin, 275. There's really no excuses for Diaz, right? And it's, Noland is a little down, but he's still hitting 270, and he's he's come up big in some big spots. So, again, for Diaz, that might be the missing piece, right? And Bulger as well, right? Those guys need to step up for this team to, to be at their full potential. So, to me, those are the question marks. The pitching isn't as much of a question mark anymore now that they're healthy. I think you still want to yeah. get Dukanich back. Um, you know, you still want to get more, Grayson Moore back in full rhythm. Maybe Cunningham back, who apparently has been banged up a little bit. So, We'll see where the pitching goes from here, but guys, they've got a half lit, half game lead over LSU in the top spot in the conference. Still leads South Carolina in the East with twenty SEC wins. They're most likely getting a top eight national seed, right? I think. Yeah. If they go like their RPI is so strong that maybe even nineteen conference wins at the end of the season might be enough. Three series left. I, if they go four and five down the stretch here, I think they lock up a top eight national seed. Um, so you, you win two out of these next three series, you're a top eight national seed and you're hosting throughout the postseason up until Omaha. So all of a sudden that's where this team is at, at Alabama, they're coming off a sweep at LSU. They got swept. So they'll be hungry. They'll be ready to go at Florida against Jack Caglione, the the beast down there. He's got like 30 bombs (laughs) already. That's going to be a fun series. And then Arkansas at home to end the series. Or to end the season, so always tough with 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 Van Horn. You got Georgia State on Tuesday, guys. I'll ask you, what do you feel about the team right now? I mean, to me, this is a top eight national seed. They look like a top eight national seed, but there's still work to be done. And we saw last year they had a chance to get a top sixteen seed, but they were a two seed in Corvallis, and they just they lost too many big series down the stretch. So, to me, I think this is a top eight national seed. And I asked the same question to Rhett. I said, what what do they have to improve on? What do they have to keep doing? So for you, Trev, what what has to get better? What, what do you, I know you talked about the hitting. What has to improve for this team to lock up that national seat? Um, I think Carter Holton has to improve. Mm-hmm. Um, he, you, you can't have your Friday starter go out go out there and just and, and not perform. Um which him not performing is still light years ahead of a lot of other Friday night starters. Yeah. But but I'm not too worried about him. Like we said, coming off an injury, uh tennis or Tennessee was definitely trying to overcompensate. You could probably make the argument that against Kentucky, um, he'll get right, but you need him. You need him to be your Friday night guy. Starting pitching, I feel really good right now, now that mm-hmm. Hunter Owens back. As long as you can keep your big three guys healthy. Um, I feel really, really good about that bullpen right now. I feel really good about as well. Um, the glaring thing is 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 hitting. Um, it's not that it's bad. It's just particularly after that Tennessee series, super inconsistent, and that sort of been the theme all year long. If you go back to the start of the season, is how inconsistent the hitting has been. Um, that's one thing. I'm trying to think. What else they have to do? defensively I, I know i'm thinking like it's 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 hard it's, it's really hard to critique uh, defensively maybe polk has to improve his defense in left field a little bit i'll say this base running 
And and Rhett Wiseman got oh, to this. Oh, that's a great point. We'll talk. Thank you for yeah. reminding me. Yeah, Rhett, base running has been funky. Rhett brought it up, so stay tuned for that. But he brought up the Polk mistake, uh, trying to take third. That that costed them maybe a run. Um, you've seen guys get thrown out at second when they maybe shouldn't have been stealing. It, it's some base running miscues that you don't usually see from a Vanderbilt team. I think those have to get cleaned up as well. Um, and, and will yeah. I mean they're usually rock solid on the base pass, right? You don't ever have to even talk about this, but this year there've, there've been some miscues. Maybe this is why my baseball takes aren't as impassioned and, and as many hot takes. It's like everything that I could possibly list off from my, from watch. I actually watched the Kentucky series, everything that I would take away. I'm like Tim Corbin already has this on the list somewhere. And that's kind of how I feel is like all of my baseball takes sound pretty dumb in my opinion, because everything you guys named off, obviously, like I love if I go through the list of things, I'm like, I'd love to see him hit the ball better. And I'd love to see these pitchers strike out more guys and not give up as much hard contact. I'm like, is that really that much? It's hard to, it's it's hard to nitpick the team right now. Yeah. It's they're playing pretty well. Inconsistency is pretty much the only criticism that I could give overall. And they're five and four on the road in sec play. So they've played very well at home and struggled on the road. But most of that was the three losses that they had last weekend in Knoxville. So that could just be a one-off playing your in-state rival. Don't have your best performance. Friday night, a walk-off and extra from Tennessee and things snowballed. So I can write that off if they continue to play well down the stretch of this mm-hmm. season. And we'll see once they hit a postseason play where Tim Corbin has decided to tweak this lineup. I, I will say out answer. And I totally, I totally agree. It is it's it's really hard to critique this ball club right now. Um, even after the Tennessee series, you yeah. I and I don't think a lot of us expected Vanderbilt to be this good. Um now obviously as a Vanderbilt fan, you say like every year the expectation is Omaha. And I don't think that's speaking in like a hyperbole or anything like that. Like they do the Omaha challenge. Like that is the goal for Vanderbilt baseball every year is national championships. Um so I do agree that it is hard to sort of nitpick this team right now. I think there's as a whole, I think one of the things you could probably nitpick is inconsistency at the plate. And then after that, it sort of just goes by a player by player basis. Um, and it's not even their whole game. It's just parts of their game. Like like yeah. you said, Davis Diaz, great defensively, bad at the play right now. One thing, I think this Vanderbilt coaching staff, Tim Corbin and Scott Brown, have to figure out because this has lost us games. And if, as we go into postseason play, if this is not managed properly, Vanderbilt will lose baseball games. Is how you manage your pitchers in-game. Mm-hmm. You, can, you cannot – you cannot leave them out there too long. And and that's the thing is like, oh, well, what's too long? What's what's not long enough? Uh, you don't want to hurt a guy's confidence. But we have seen so many times um, a guy go out, have a rough inning, but manage to, to make it out unscathed. And instead of bringing in a guy in the bullpen being like, hey, man, Carter, great job. Your day's done. Devin, your day's done. You bring him out for the fourth inning. You bring him out for the fifth inning. You bring him out for the sixth inning. And that's not just starting pitchers, but that's your relievers as well. And I get you have to manage your bullpen in a certain way. You have to manage your starting pitchers in a certain way. But leaving guys in too long has cost Vanderbilt ball games. And as mm-hmm. we get into postseason play, will cost Vanderbilt ball games. So when do you pull them? I don't know. I 
maybe one is velo drops, but then again, I think Friday night, Patrick Riley on his fastball, he threw a 92, and then the next one he threw a 96. So I don't know if you can really judge velo. I think it's got to be a sort of how Scott Brown knows <laughs> his guys, how Tim knows his guys, and they obviously know him better than us. But yeah, this, you can't let it happen. I mean, this is that you're describing it perfectly. Like I, the only Vanderbilt sport that I give the benefit of the doubt to the coaching staff of they are actually testing the limits to see in a regular season game yeah. where these guys will fail, like truly fail. Yep. And then and Tim Corbin it. gave that quote. Yeah. Yes. And, and, and I think that's BS. Like I think most coaches, most of the time, like when I hear that is like the justification for a bad in-game coaching decision during the regular season, I don't buy it. Vanderbilt baseball and Tim Corbin, Scott, that's the issues that I have. And I'm sure that, and I'll get a lot more critical as we enter postseason play, because at that point, there's no way that you're testing anything out, but we've seen in the past, Tim Corbin make the correct decisions to fix the criticisms that we have during the regular season mm -hmm. and result in a national championship. So that just gives me so much more of like, okay, let's, let's wait and see. Let's we've hold, seen it so many times. Our horses yeah. versus when it's football or basketball. My first instinct is to say, they don't know what the hell they're doing because mm -hmm. they haven't proved it out to us and mm -hmm. showed us anything and actually won late in the season. So when I hear Jerry Stackhouse is working through his rotations uh, in regular season games, I don't know how much I buy that because Jerry Stackhouse has never had a lick of postseason success. Mm -hmm. So that's where you just, it's, I just have to take a step back and not yeah. be overly critical of a great baseball program just because I want to find things to nitpick. It's that yeah. being said, Trevor, great point. It's hard not, <laughs> thank you. It's, it's hard not to think about the two national titles when, when bickering about the coaching staff with Vanderbilt baseball. Like, it's, yeah, it's like those are two pretty important trophies that you've gotten and you've proven it. As you said, Will, they've done it before and they've, this has happened in seasons before where a Vanderbilt team goes through adversity. Maybe the best thing to happen to this team was getting swept by your in state rival in Knoxville, right? All of a mm -hmm. sudden, you get knocked down. Right. And you have to come back and keep fighting. And that's exactly what happened. Right. I mean, last year, it's happened before with Vanderbilt 2013. They had a perfect, they went 26 and three in the SEC, never saw any adversity. And they get punched in the mouth in the Super Regional and they lose to LS to, to Louisville. And then Tennessee last year, right? They don't see adversity until Super Regional against Notre Dame and they don't know how to respond to it. Maybe. That Tennessee series was the best thing to happen because they know how to respond from adversity. And we've seen it. We've seen them do it before in past seasons. So uh, the that, motivation Tim Corbin has to give, it reminds me a little bit of like when Georgia won the national championship and after the game, the players were saying, nobody believed we could do this. And it was like the ability of these elite level coaches within their programs to create adversity yep. for their supremely talented teams is something that's like a whole different mental game you have to play than when you're than when you're playing the mental motivation adversity game with your team that is actually facing the yeah. adversity and people saying that nobody believes every every baseball analyst in the country believes that this Vanderbilt team if they can put everything together can win the national championship so yeah. Tim Corbin's got to find a way to motivate these guys to say it's not just going to fall into your lap and so I, I think every year it's a unique challenge finding the pulse of the team. And that's what's always interesting from the Vanderbilt baseball team is sometimes Tim Corbin's able to find it. 
sometimes not so much. And we'll see how the rest of this season plays out right now. It feels like he's just starting to tune in, mm-hmm. tune in the, uh, the frequency right now. Yep. And you're starting to see one series. This team looks absolutely out of place and like they've never picked up a baseball or a bat. And then next weekend against a top 15 opponent again in Kentucky, and they come out and sweep and look pretty solid. So moving forward, we'll just see how they close out and if they can lock down that national seed, Billy. And Vanderbilt, guys, so many times has played well at the right time. I mean, we've seen it so many times. So, Trev, I know you wanted to get to something, though, to close it out. <laughs> yeah, sorry. I will say in regards to the national seed, I think Vanderbilt probably has a national seed locked up. I think they're, I think they're very, very – they're in the driver's seat. They very comfortably have one locked up. Um, now, could we experience a late season implosion? Yeah, but I'm not <laughs> banking on it. But just in regards to the to the national seat, I think Vanderbilt is is definitely going to have a national seat. I think for the SEC, it's probably going to be national seeds or Vanderbilt, South Carolina, LSU, Florida, probably. Yeah. Right, maybe. Arkansas, yeah. yeah. Maybe Florida. And, Florida might slip out. I don't know. Ask and me you, in you never know. Weeks. If you get hot, like if you're if you're on the on the verge of being a, a, a one seed and you get hot down the stretch of a season, you can lock up a top 16 seed and host a regional at least. So, I mean, there's still a lot of baseball to be played. And like I said, guys, this is Tim Corbin. This is Vanderbilt Baseball. It's going to be nice if this team can do it to host a regional and host a super. After last season, you you have to go to Corvallis. It's going to be nice seeing those in Nashville. The road to Omaha begins, and well, not begins, it keeps going uh, against Georgia State. Uh, They play on Tuesday. It's a 6 o'clock first pitch, and they travel down to Tuscaloosa to play Alabama. Alabama's desperate. They're they're going to want to take this series from Vandy. They got swept at at LSU last weekend. Uh, Alabama starts Thursday in Tuscaloosa, 7 o'clock on ESPNU. SEC Network on Friday night, and then uh, at Alabama for Game 3 on Saturday. And then Louisville. It's, it gets tough, guy. It gets really tough. Yeah. Louisville midweek at Florida, MTSU at home, and then Arkansas at home to round it out. So we'll see where where uh, where this team goes. But coming up, Rhett Wiseman, former Vanderbilt baseball uh, right fielder, national champion, Trevor with a few thoughts to close us out again. So sorry, <laughs> Rhett. I, I hate to keep delaying your, your appearance. <laughs> I have a question for you guys just looking at the schedule the rest of the way. And I I hate to overlook Georgia State and Alabama because even though Vanderbilt should handle him, I said the same thing about Tennessee, and I've been eating crow since. So I don't want to overlook them. But what series doesn't necessarily scare you, but what series left on the schedule do you look at and you're like, that's going to be tough. And what series, and they might be one of the same. What series do you look at and think Vanderbilt has to have that one? It's it's at Florida for me. Florida is number four in the country. Jack Caglione is the best hitter in the country. And mm-hmm. I mean, he's dest he's bound to hit at least four home runs when Vanderbilt plays him. You just gotta try to contain him. He pitches, he's their game three starter as well. Uh you're yeah. going down to Gainesville. Anytime you're playing on the road is tough. Uh, Arkansas at home as well. That's that's going to be tough. I mean, Arkansas is another top ten team. They're always good. I mean, that series never, intrigues me. 
Yeah, the Florida going... series is the one that scares me the most. The Arkansas series is the one that I want to see the Vandy boys come out and win that series just because yeah. it's at home. So that that's how I view it. I don't think all is lost if Vanderbilt goes down. And even if worse comes to worse, that Vanderbilt swept by Florida. I don't think that's detrimental no. to the season. But losing that series to Arkansas could have seeding implications. And this, yeah, especially yes. at home. And this yes. Alabama series is big too because if you lose two out of three here, that puts more pressure on you to win either the Florida or Alabama mm-hmm. or Arkansas series. So mm-hmm. you can't scoff over Alabama. Louisville's important, but it's not really a make or break game. But Florida and Arkansas, I look at those two series. If you can get both of those, you're a lock. I mean, yes. it, you, you lock mm-hmm. it up. If you sweep either of these three teams, you set yourself up really well because you, then you only really have to take one or two more games in the next two series. So it's going to be – I'm with you, Trev. I want to say they're a lock right now, but there's still a little bit more work to do to get to that that spot. Do you think – so not even thinking about the Florida series – Anything could happen, particularly with the Arkansas series, since it is the last game of the se- of the regular season, and then we go into Hoover. Do you think, since it is the last series of the season, if Vanderbilt could take that, does that sort of give them that juju, that magic that you need going into postseason play? I think it, that it, that's sort of how I feel. I I would love to get. I would obviously love to get both of them. I would love to get the Florida. I wouldn't hit the panic button if they dropped the Arkansas series, but if they did, I'd be a little nervy. Yes. If you, if you take that Arkansas series, it's better for everybody. It's better for the team, the staff, the fans. If you don't, you, there's still that kind of sinking feeling of, okay, how there's good a weird is anxiety. This? Yeah. How good is this team? Right. Are they a legit top eight national seed? But again, if you just win four more games, no matter who it's against in the SEC in these next three series, you're a lock. You go four and five, yes. you're fine. Right? Yep. They've you go, done the work great. early in the season yes. to set yeah. themselves up very well where it doesn't all come down to these last three series in the SEC yeah. tournament. So very you, always wanna, you want seat. to be playing your ba- best baseball at the end of the year. We hit on that a lot when dissing and shitting on the boys in Orange out East last season. <laughs> but uh, like obviously starting out 16 and five, and if you take away series last weekend, you're 16 and two like an SEC play, that's that's a pretty solid start to play, and it would take a huge collapse for this team not to be a heavy favorite to be a national yeah. seed, and, no uh, matter and what if you do, if you are struggling at the end of the season, you've always got Hoover to regain some of that confidence and momentum, yeah. right? I mean, that's a good, that's a great last place pitch. to do that. Yeah, I mean, it's it's kind of your last chance opportunity to get some good mojo. Vanderbilt hasn't particularly placed a ton of emphasis on Hoover, I don't think. I mean, I... I could be totally I, I'm wrong right there, there with you. Yeah. It's like, like if we drop look, Hoover, I'll be like, eh, whatever. Yeah. You you go you could go to and barbecue in Hoover, and it's like, yeah, that's that's more that's tougher than the actual tournament itself. Like you win yeah. the SEC tournament, you deserve a national championship trophy. Like that that's how yeah, that's how tough it is. So uh, again, you've always got Hoover, but next three SEC series are not gonna be easy. At Alabama, it's always tough going on the road, at Florida, and then Arkansas at home. Man, th- got some fun series. Florida, I think a lot of those will be televised, Arkansas two of those on sec network then louisville and, uh, smacked in the middle of there yeah battle for the barrel against louisville is that that's, that's at, at louisville that's right? at mm-hmm. louisville yep that is oh, at louisville God. so um all of a sudden got and, and the florida and arkansas series both those start on a thursday night so those are always fun you get two night games in those series so and exams are done 
exams are over Ooh, for these guys, at least, at least most of them. So, I mean, they're just playing baseball, right? They're, they're playing, they're acting like major league baseball players. They're just rolling through. They wake up, eat breakfast, head to the field, and you're playing whoever you got to play that day. So, um, but they got some early travel trips. Alabama starts on Thursday and then uh, Florida, I think starts on Thursday as well. So uh, we'll see there's, where these boys go, but Trevor, thank you for your input. I'll tell Rhett Wiseman, um, <laughs> you, you had to get your input in there. Yeah, but coming t- t- up, t- I'm sorry, Rhett. <laughs> coming up, Rhett Wiseman, national champion, Vandy, Boy, we, Vandy Boys. We dive into the Vandy Boys with Rhett. Coming up, stay tuned here on the Door Report. Hoard and get this baby started. <clears throat> All right. Here we go. Rhett Wiseman, national champion Vandy boy, rejoins us. I think it's been a few weeks here, but it's always good to catch back up with Rhett and uh, see uh, see his thoughts on on the Vandy boys, Vanderbilt baseball. Of course, he's called games before uh, there at the Hawk. He's, he's still keeping up, still watching the team. Rhett, thanks for checking back in. I want to start with two weekends ago, not this past weekend with Kentucky. We'll get to Kentucky, um, but the Tennessee sweep. Right. Why don't we start with Kentucky? <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I want to get your perspective on this because, you know, we talked a lot about it, right? We talked a lot about the series. I wanted to get you on before Tennessee. Didn't get a chance to, but put yourself in the shoes of this team after two weekends ago, right? In Knoxville, you know, exams are wrapping up, right? So they're probably happy about that. How do you regroup as a team and bounce back after such a brutal showing against not just an SEC team, but your in-state rival, right? You you want to you want to beat your in-state rival, try to try to control that state. Uh, so so how as a team were they able to do that? And from your perspective, how tough can that be? You know, Billy, it seems to me that they just you know, this is the second year in a row they've been swept by Tennessee. It's just outrageous. I mean, they're not Tennessee's not even a good team. I, <laughs> I think what happens is. This Vanderbilt team, which is a top five team in the country and has been pretty much all year, they just get a little too tight. You know, they don't play their brand of baseball. They don't play well. They don't hit well. They don't pitch well. They don't play defense well. They don't do anything well. And it's such an outlier compared to every other series because the series before Tennessee, they looked great. The series after Tennessee, they looked great. So you have to take those three games and you have really that whole week, really. And you have to just say, you know what? It's gone. Forget about it. We can't think about it. We can't dwell on it. We got to just move forward because it's just gross and there's nothing you can do about it. You just got to move on, play your baseball, get back to your brand of baseball, which they did this weekend. Put yourself in the shoes of these guys. Uh, I'm sure you've been swept before under a Corbin coach team, right? Especially nope, the, no, been, never. Wow. No. <laughs> I love so, how I, I tried to slide that in. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but okay. Let's act like it happened once. And uh, you guys have lost two out of three before, right? You weren't undefeated at Vandy, but so after that, you know, what are practices like? Does Corbin change anything? I guess with this team in particular, you know, RJ Austin was asked after the game a couple of days ago. He said, "You know, Corbs was confident in us. You know, he he was confident. He was, he was, he felt like we were going to bounce back after that." So, I mean, do you think Corbin lit a fire under him, or he, you know, it's kind of more more toned down a little bit, saying, "Okay, I'm confident in you guys. You know, we're going to bounce back. We got Kentucky at home, another good team." 
know, there's two things you can do, Billy. You can go the route of, wow, you guys stink, which isn't true because they don't, right? Or you can say, guys, that was awful. I don't know where you guys were this weekend. That was terrible. Please don't ever do that again. Let's forget about it, wash it, and move forward. And that's what he did. Those are the only two things that you can do. Now, you know, I'm sure Corbin wasn't thrilled with that Tennessee series, but neither was the team. These right. guys, you know, on the team have to see these Tennessee guys around. They know they're in the same state. They know it's a crazy rivalry. So these guys wear it too. They're miserable. They don't want to lose to Tennessee. If you asked every single one of those guys, hey, what's the one series we have to win this year? They'd all say Tennessee, Tennessee, Tennessee. So there's there's really no other way for, for Coach Corbin to go about it than to say, hey, guys, look, you're a top five team in the country. You're easily one of the best teams in the U.S. right now. You're playing great baseball. Take these three games, throw them out the window. They don't matter. Forget about them. Let's get a good week of training in and 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 play Kentucky, play our brand of baseball this weekend against Kentucky. And that's exactly what they did. And let's face it, they hadn't lost a weekend series up until that weekend in Knoxville. Right? I mean, they were, they were dominant. They were one of the most dominant teams in the country. And, you know, for anybody – pressing the panic button or, you know, telling themselves the the world is is falling, the world is ending, right? It's not because Vanderbilt comes back, they they sweep Kentucky. And you know this well, Rhett. We've talked about we talk about it all the time. The regular season, essentially, I know you've said this, maybe you don't mean it a hundred percent, but the regular season to an extent doesn't matter. Right. I know you've talked about that. Now you have you'd like to get a top eight national seed or you know a top 16 seed to host. But at the end of the day, right, 2014, 2015, you guys started playing well at the right time. That's what matters in college baseball. And I think SEC people in the South are so conditioned to the football season, right? It's 12 games. You, you know, you got to win every game. You've got to get to the playoff. No, baseball, if you start playing well at the right time, just like Ole Miss last year, you can win it all, right? It, it's it's anybody's game. Yeah, and, and that's why – one little blip, you, you play 30 SEC games. So it's 10 weekend series. One doesn't matter. One of them that's ugly and gross, it doesn't matter. Flush it down the toilet and, and keep going forward. And that's what happened. You, you know, you look at this Vandy team every single weekend, win the series, win the series, win the series, win the series, over and over. It's almost monotonous because they're going into these <laughs> games and winning series. But all of a sudden you lose three in a row and it's, you get punched in the mouth and you say, Holy crap. And then Vandy doesn't have a midweek game this week. So they're not playing for a week. And then everyone is thinking, okay, well, how are they going to respond? How are they going to respond? A tough team responds by coming out, playing a top 25 team and giving it to them. And that's exactly what they did. So that's how you know that this team has confidence in their own abilities and Coach Corbin has confidence in them because they responded after a brutal weekend with an, a, a sweep of a big-time SEC school at home down the stretch. You just mentioned it. Let's get to it. Number five, Vanderbilt. Number 15, Kentucky. Friday night, you said the word monotonous. Uh, that's what it was. It, it was It was, It was. was kind of a snooze fest Friday, but Vanderbilt got it done. 6-4, Patrick Riley was nails in relief, 10 strikeouts, so he's – Back to form, you know, freshman Patrick Riley. Saturday, Hunter Owens return, four innings, 
but he had six strikeouts. So a theme here, right? And then, of course, they win Sunday with an Alan Espinal walk-off. It feels like the theme is when Vanderbilt's pitching is back full strength, you know, they're back clicking, this team rallies around that, right? Okay, we've got our guys back. Hunter Owens back. We automatically play well, right? They had they had motivation coming back from the Tennessee series, but would you agree that this team, they got Hunter Owen back, and it's almost like they got a little bit of their swagger and confidence back saying, okay, our Saturday guy's back. We know we have Holton and Futrell. Let's go, let's go win this series. Yeah, definitely. You know, you derive a lot of confidence from that guy on the mound. So if he's confident out there, you feel that and you know that going in and, and those guys are fired up. I mean, they got their Friday guy back. They get their Saturday guy back. And then it allows the guys who are carrying the load for them guys like, you know, Cunningham um, and, and guys like Riley and, and, and Laboki, it allows them to go back into their roles mm-hmm. where they're comfortable which is in the bullpen. So instead of everyone being a little bit out of sorts and not being comfortable in, in, in roles that they're just kind of holding for the time being, it allows those guys to go back into the bullpen, into the back end of the bullpen or in long relief where they're comfortable. And then everyone's back in their spots. And there's this feeling uh, of, of calmness where the team goes, okay, we're back. We're where we need to be. And uh, immediately that confidence level rises and, and can allow you to play more comfortable and, and and play better. And speaking of confidence, Sunday, for a guy like Alan Espinal to come up in a spot like that and win the game in the ninth, he hadn't had an SEC at bat for, I think, three or four weeks, something like that. And, you know, classic Corbin, he, st- he keeps him in that spot. He started that game and Espinal comes up big. I mean, I feel like that's that's a staple that we've seen so many times under Tim Corbin where a guy may not be playing as much as he might like, but he sticks to the process. He trusts the process. He knows he's going to get a chance, and he gets the chance. So, again, I can't say enough personally about Ellen Espinal to come up in that spot, have all that confidence, and and execute, and get the win. You get the sweep that that you needed, quite frankly, right? You know, and – you could have gotten a sweep down the road, but getting this sweep this weekend, I think, was big for this team and their psyche. So what can you say about Espinal, a guy we haven't seen or heard much from, but he comes up in a big spot like you've seen so many times as well? Yeah, you know, and, and Espy's a guy that that I see over at the field. He's there every single day. He's there 7 to 8 a.m. every single day when nobody sees him. Uh, he, he's part of a group of guys that goes over there and they just hit and they hit and they hit and they hit and they just get better. And you see it because a lot of guys that don't play every day, their time comes Mm -hmm. and you get that opportunity. You need to harness it. And that's what he did yesterday. And everybody knows he's a great catcher. You don't have to be a a unbelievable baseball guy to watch him catch one inning and say, he's really good. Mm -hmm. Thing that I love is that, the pitch he hit was a breaking ball. He drove it into the left center field gap. He stayed on it the entire at bat, the entire swing, and he drove it. And that's something that he was not doing earlier in the season. And every time that that he's been able to see breaking balls, you can tell he's been working on it. He gets a breaking ball from a breaking ball specialist, drives it into the gap, and wins that game. And that 
is attributed to the hard work that he's done off the field because you know he hasn't done it in the game because he hasn't gotten the at-bats. So Mm -hmm. how do you get better when you're not playing every day? You got to be locked in on the bench when you're watching the games. You got to be thinking and you got to bust your butt in practice and you got to bust your butt before you go to class. And that's exactly what he's been doing. And that's why he's going to be a huge, huge player on this team in the next couple of years, but also a huge part of, of this team right here. And we saw it yesterday. When, when a situation like that happens, does that, could that dramatically change anything for him? Like potentially could Corbin look at that and say, maybe we need to insert him in the starting lineup a few more times. Like, have you, is that something you think could potentially happen here or, you know, he may, he may stay in the same situation. Obviously you're not Tim Corbin, but you know, you know him fairly well. So with Espinal, do you think some more opportunities could come for him? You know, the situation over there, it's, it's, it's not always equal, but it's, but it's always fair, you know, and, and guys work their way into that lineup by the things that they do in training and the things that they do in practice and the things that they do in games. So when I say it's not always equal, guys aren't going to get the same amount of playing time. And and that's never going to be the case. Uh, But the people that do get in the lineup, they get in, everybody gets a fair shot. Um, And you SB going in there and and having a game-winning hit and working some good at-bats and catching a great game, that doesn't hurt his chances to get in there again. Yeah. Right? Um, And and he's definitely going to get looks. So, you know, nothing would surprise me. Nothing would surprise me. Even having a guy like that that has confidence to come in off the bench as well is a huge, huge Mm -hmm. part of a championship team because you need guys that are power guys that come off the bench too. So whether his role increases in in a game-to-game situation, um, I'm not sure. But just having him have confidence in his back to come off the bench late in games is also going to be big for this team. It's a long season. There's a lot of <clears throat> a lot of baseball left. Regional, super regional, Omaha. I think Vanderbilt fans have realized this is a long season and you need guys fresh, right? You, you know, there's there's going to be some younger guys that are maybe banged up. They they hit the freshman wall and they need some relief, right? So, Rhett, let's get to the rest of this season, right? Three SEC weekends left. Starts with a trip to Alabama this weekend. Obviously, it's never easy on the road in the SEC. From your perspective, as you as you watch this team, as you put in the tape, as, as we say, what do they have to clean up in your mind, and what do they need to continue to do to lock up a national seed, a top eight national seed with, with three weeks left? You know, I, I think that uh, there's a lot of good at-bats that are happening. I like a lot of the at-bats. Uh, the defense has been very strong. Of course, the pitching – it's, it's all about pitching and defense. That's what's going to win them championships. Scraping across a couple of runs a game is what they're going to have to do, but you got to score to win. So it's really going to be about pitching and defense. And, and those are things that Vanderbilt has been great all year. Their offense has been fantastic. That's kind of been carrying them. The pitching has been really good. Um, uh, the defense has been phenomenal all year. I'm not worried about that. We just got to get Holton back into the swing of things, got to get Hunter Owen back into the swing of things, going to get Cunningham back in the bullpen comfortable, get uh, Laboki back uh, comfortable in the pen. And and, and it's really nice to see uh, Pat Riley um, doing his thing. We know Maldonado. We know what he's going to give us out of the pen. So we're good there. The thing that uh, needs to be cleaned up, and they are going to lose big games if they don't clean this up, the base running is killing me. 
it's hard for me seeing the same mistakes over and over and over again. Guys getting thrown out at third base with two outs in games like yesterday where it's a tie game. And that is the di- that could have been the difference, right? Vandy got lucky late in that game. They had some big breaks. I look at it as, okay, if we didn't have a guy get thrown out at third base with two outs in the f- fifth inning or sixth inning when that happened, they could have th- – that bottom of the ninth maybe never happens. So um, there's just some things that you got to clean up on base running because you can't run into outs. You cannot give away outs coming down the stretch here and in the postseason. They're too valuable. Oh, there we go. You got me? Gotcha. Okay. Especially, as I was saying, in a park like Hoover, the Hoover Met, right, in Omaha, right, where base running is crucial, right? And I know hitting has changed a lot, Rhett, but uh, you get into the postseason play, that's where it matters. All right, exams are done. It It's all baseball from here, right? And you've experienced this at Vanderbilt. Exams are not the same at Vanderbilt as they are at other SEC schools. So it's a little bit more of a challenge for, for you guys uh, I think it could be overrated at times, you know, the the challenge of the exams. But put it put that into perspective. Maybe it wasn't a challenge for you, but for some guys, uh, it might be more of a challenge. So, from a Vanderbilt baseball player's perspective, under Corbin playing in the SEC, you know, I mean, for example, a couple of weeks ago, they're going to Knoxville, right, and they're wrapping up exams. They're they're trying to complete big projects. How much of a challenge is that? Does that play a role into the psyche is it for younger guys like how how would you describe that from from a player's standpoint yeah you know it's just added stress it's just added things on your back these vandy guys are are so used to it at this point they've had midterm exams they've had big tests they've had to travel and then come back and uh, on three hours of sleep wake up and go to an 8 a.m class and, and take an exam it's nothing that they that they can't handle uh, if anything, they have more time because they're not going to class. They're just mm-hmm. having to study for these exams. So I, I've talked to some guys on the team. They have exams all week this week prior to leaving for Alabama. Um, it, it's one of those things where it's part of it. It's part of college athletics. For the older guys, they're used to it. For the younger guys, they have built up the discipline that they need to be able to study be successful in the classroom and then come and be successful on the field. So I have no qualms about, uh, about the exam uh, season for them and, and how that'll affect their play this weekend. How freeing is it after those exams are over? I know it might be different for some guys, but I mean, it's all baseball, right? It's just, and then Hoover's a, you know, a couple weeks away, regional, super regional, how, how satisfying and freeing is that as, as you go down the stretch of the season? It's the best. It really is the best. I mean, it is the most fun time of the year where those college guys can pretend like they're professional players because that's what it is. You wake up, you go eat with the guys, you go to the field, you're at the field all day long, you get your work in, you go eat with the team again, you guys go get dinner, you go back to the dorms, you hang out with each other, you mess around, you go do fun stuff. And you do it over and over again. And that's the life of a pro baseball player. And, and that's that little taste of that that they get without school. So you've got no tests. You have no homework. You're just hanging out. You're going fishing. You're doing fun stuff with, with your buddies all day long. And then you're showing up to the field and, and getting your work in. 
Right, real quick, Alabama trip to Tuscaloosa this weekend. I don't know if you ever made that trip or not when you're at Vanderbilt. Uh, it feels like a, a more more of a rare trip for for the Vandy boys, but they're they're going to be hungry, right? They're coming off a sweep by LSU, right? They were competitive all weekend, so they're going to be hungry. They missed on the NCAA tournament last year. They don't want to miss it this year. So put yourself in Corbin's shoes, these players' shoes. They're heading into a tough atmosphere against a good opponent who desperately wants to beat you, right? They might even need a sweep at this point, right? So how how tough can that be for these guys? How do they settle in? How do they focus on getting the job done of, of simply beating Alabama? You know, it's business as usual. Um, I don't know. Those guys definitely probably aren't going to be stressed. I don't think Alabama has exams, do they? Do they even go to class? No, <laughs> no right? most of them probably don't. <laughs> right. So, you know, they're going to be hungry. And like you said, it's it's coming down to the wire here where uh, they need to perform uh, to get a good seat as well. And, and, and Vandy is, is in the driver's seat for sure. Um, but if, if this last weekend did nothing, it it's going to prepare them. And, and sometimes Billy, when you go to uh, a rival school and you get your butt kicked, like they did at Tennessee can light a fire underneath you. Mm-hmm. And, they can wipe up Kentucky and it would not surprise me if they go on the road and really give it to Alabama as well as kind of like, Hey, that's not us. This is us and go there and show them. And um, after Alabama, they got, you know, it doesn't get it much easier. So it's, it's just going to be some, some tough weekends ahead and they just got to continue to play their brand of baseball and, and, and take it one game at a time. And Rhett, we see it all the time, right? With with a team like Tennessee last year, they didn't go through any adversity, really. I mean, throughout the whole regular season, they first hit adversity in the Super Regionals. And so for a Vanderbilt team to experience adversity, pretty bad. I mean, that was that was all that was brutal in Knoxville. Maybe you let that simmer for a whole week, no midweek game. Maybe that was the best thing for this team. I mean, that's what I think some people forget about. You know, if you go through adversity in the middle of a season, that might prepare you for a regional when you hit adversity or a super regional when you hit adversity. So you can't forget that. I know you won't forget that either. No doubt. No doubt, Billy, you're hundred percent right. And it happens all the time. Sometimes those number one seeds, you get teams like LSU. Mm -hmm. If they don't see any big time adversity, as soon as you get punched in the mouth, when it matters, you don't know how to come back from that. It's exactly what happened to Tennessee last year. It's exactly what happened to the 2013 Vanderbilt team that I was on. Set yep. the all-time SEC record, 26 and three, and we never lost. I mean, we were the best. Then all of a sudden, we get into an elimination game against Louisville in a super regional, and we didn't know how to come back from that, and we lost. Um, Louisville was a really good team, still, mm-hmm. but you know, we had never been up against the ropes. So for a Vandy team to get smacked around like that and then come back, they've won games in, in extra innings. They've slaughter ruled teams. They've won series. They've swept teams on the road. They've swept teams at home. They've been swept on the road. So they've had a ton of, of really important experiences that are going to uh, really, really help them here as they continue towards the postseason. 26 and three. That's never going to happen again, isn't it? I don't think so. Unbelievable. We we need to we need to sit down and talk about that just that that season one one episode. But uh, Rhett, love to. Thanks for taking the time, man. Enjoy this weekend watching Vandy in Alabama, and then pretty soon we'll have Hoover and and uh, potentially Omaha to talk about. So uh, we'll wait for that. But thanks, Rhett. Thanks, Billy. Talk to you soon. All right. See you, man.